from Studio 303, it's the Caravan Library of Lore, Stranger Than Fiction News, bringing light to unknown stories around us. A woman who was washed out to sea almost 18 months ago was found alive on the same beach wearing the same clothes she had on when she disappeared. This story comes to you from MysteriousUniverse.org. Multiple Indonesia media sources report that Nening Sunarish was 52 and vacationing on Sitapis Beach in Sukabomi, West Java, on January 8th of 2017, when a huge wave carried her way out far beyond the point where onlookers felt safe swimming to attempt rescuing the screaming woman. Professional search and rescue teams found nothing until a week later, when a badly decomposed body washed ashore. Nanning's family denied it was her because it lacked a unique birthmark on the fingernails and were different than a DNA test proved them correct. Nonetheless, all the rescue operations were called off and the woman was pronounced dead by authorities. Fast forward to late June 2018, an elder male relative, either an uncle or a grandfather, Google translations of the reports do differ, had a reoccurring dream where the woman told him she was alive and directed him to a beach near where she disappeared. A group of relatives accompanied him to the beach, where after searching for many hours, they found her at 4 a.m. on July 1st, 500 meters from where she disappeared. Unconscious and covered in sand and wearing the same clothes she reportedly had on 18 months ago. The local search and rescue office confirmed that the information given about the person found was the same that reported when they looked for the missing woman 18 months ago. She was then taken to the local hospital where reports said she was conscious and recovering, but still on fluids and not talking about where she had been for the last year and a half. Again, this was reported at MysteriousUniverse.org. And what happens if someone catches the Loch Ness Monster? A Scottish government-funded body has a plan in place if the Loch Ness Monster should ever be found. Scottish Natural Heritage, or SNH, prepared the partially serious, partly fun code of practice in 2001 amid a period of intense interest in Nessie. This year's interest has been piqued by scientists gathering DNA from the loch and Scotland's first minister saying that she believes there is a monster. SNH said it would dust off the plan if Nessie was discovered. The code of practice was drawn up to offer protection to a new species found in the loch, including a monster. It stipulates that DNA samples should be taken from any new creature, and then it should be released back into the loch. The story of the monster can be traced back 1,500 years ago when Irish missionary St. Columba is said to have had encountered a beast in the River Ness in 565 A.D. This story was brought to you by the BBC CO.UK. A group of victims and family members affected by the CIA's infamous MKUltra program is planning to file a class-action lawsuit against several organizations for brainwashing experiments that took place in Canada. 
The lawsuit is being prepared by survivors allied against the government abuse, according to the group's Facebook page. It will sue several organizations who were guilty or complicit in the brainwashing experiments that took place at Montreal's Allen's Memorial Hospital and the Douglas Hospital through the 1940s, 50s, and 1960s. The experiments at the hospital are fairly well documented. Scottish psychiatrist Ewan Cameron, with financing from the CIA under its MKUltra program, subjected patients at the Behavioral Health Center to electric shock treatments, experimental drugs such as LSD and other controversial methods, in an attempt to depattern or wipe the mind of the patients, then repattern or reprogram them. Some of Cameron's victims suffered severe mental harm and were unable to function properly afterward. Symptoms included memory loss to the extent that they no longer recognized their own parents or forgot how to use the restroom and how to speak. Among the victims was Gene Steele, who was admitted to Allen Memorial Institute in 1957 for manic depression and delusional thinking. Cameron allegedly subjected the 33-year-old to chemically induced sleep for weeks at a time, as well as electroshock experimental drugs and recorded messages played on repeat. Steele's daughter, Allison Steele, filed a lawsuit in 2015, according to Canada's CBC news outlet, and in 2017 received an out-of-court settlement from the Canadian government of $100,000. In 1992, close to 70 patients were also compensated with $100,000 by the Canadian government for the abuses. In the current case, Close to 40 individuals met on May 20th in Montreal to discuss the class action lawsuit, according to the CBC. They are planning to request a public apology and compensation. While part of the funding of the programs in Canada came through the CIA, they were also funded by the Canadian Health and Welfare Department. The MK Ultra program has been a focus of heavy controversy for years. In 1973, the CIA destroyed many documents on the program, which was tied to bizarre and often abusive experiments on human consciousness. This story comes to you from the EpochTimes.com. And now it's time for this week's fun fact. At any given moment, about 0.7% of the people in the world are drunk. And that wraps it up for this edition of the Stranger Than Fiction News. Now let's head into the forest and across the creek to the Caravan of Lore. Come, walk down the winding path. Don't mind the spooks and monsters. They stay hidden within the trees. There are mysteries in this world that you need to know, and paranormal truths that need to be told. Come, step up into the caravan, while we share tales of old, as well as new accounts about things you thought only existed in your nightmares. It's late, and the moon is full. You're safe in your home, yet immersed in a world of vampires and werewolves, 
a witch watching your every move. Come, step inside the caravan as we travel into the mind and magic of storytelling with Christopher Garitano, best known for his documentaries Horror Business and Montauk Chronicles. Christopher has been passionate about filmmaking and storytelling since he was young. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. And I'm I, really glad and to I, have And I here. appreciate it. So what would so, you like to talk to me about? Well, how about for those that might not be familiar with Montauk Chronicles, why don't you share a little bit about what that is? Sure. Well, Montauk, I, I originally uh, started researching and shooting footage for a docudrama, and I wanted to make something about the paranormal. And I was uh, I was making about cryptozoological sightings and experiences in the U.S. and it was called Monster Chronicles. And a mm-hmm. friend of mine at the time knew that I was you know short on funds and I needed money to. I, I really liked making things for the film and, and making it an immersive experience. And so it was such a vast territory and there was so many different states I had to visit for Monster Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Even the special effects makeup um, and some of the visual effects were going to cost a lot of money at the time. So a friend of mine suggested, since I lived not too far away from the Camp Hero Air Force Station, and that's all the way on the furthest eastern tip of Long Island, New York, I lived in a place called Northport, New York, which was on the north shore of Long Island. And um, I grew up in that area. I lived in New York City for a while. And he knew I lived there and, and it wasn't too far away from this base that there was this urban legend or this, this, this kind of folklore surrounding the base that essentially the, the story goes that between 1971 and 1983, there were these secret government experiments deep beneath the ground in a, in a secret facility. And that involved everything from uh, heightening psychic abilities through mind control experiments, kidnapping runaway kids and using them as, as human subjects, to uh, reverse engineering of alien technology and time travel mm-hmm. experiments and and all different monsters from other dimensions and extraterrestrials from other galaxies uh, traveling mm-hmm. there to work with the, the scientists uh, deep beneath this facility. So I thought the story was so nuts. I wasn't really interested in it. I'd read the kind of independent book that was made in the 90s, uh, co-authored by Preston Nichols. And I didn't really think much of it. I thought it was kind of flimsy. I thought it was cherry picking from a lot of sci-fi that I grew up on and some Twilight Zone episodes and some Outer Limit episodes. And Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing that interested me at the time was sitting face to face with these old, some of them very elderly men like Alfred Bielek and, and Preston Nichols, and mm-hmm. listening to their story in their own uh, habitat, in their home, where they feel mm-hmm. comfortable. And I wanted to see how they live. And uh, I wanted to see their, their true inflection. And I didn't want them to be prepared to be in any kind of studio situation. So I didn't bring anybody with me. I think I maybe had one other person with me. And so it began with that. I just wanted to see what I could find. And I had always intended to allow them to tell their tale uh, without too much. I wanted a narr- I wanted narration, but I didn't want to force uh, a perspective or some kind of social political perspective regarding the government experiments. 
And so that began in 06. And it started off as just wanting to hear these old men tell these crazy stories. And that mm -hmm. evolved into, you know, this obsession of mine wanting to uncover the truth about this because I didn't believe in it when I started. I didn't believe that these things really happened. I, separately, mm -hmm. I believe in psychic abilities. I believe, of course, in, in intelligent extraterrestrial life. I believe in the possibility of interdimensional, interstellar, and, and, and time travel. But I just didn't buy it from them because I was so familiar with what they were taking from and what they were referring to in regards to science fiction. So mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to dive in and explore the topic. And along the way, I, I got bit. I mean, I got bit by an obsessive atmosphere because I, I was so immersed in, in making this picture. I wanted to make it good. I wanted it to be great for the audience. I wanted it to be this immersive experience, you know, some psychedelic sequences, and I wanted the cinema to be fantastic. I really didn't have any money. It was just, just, you know, just pure creativity, just pouring myself into it. And on, and on top of that, I, I became obsessed with finding out if children really were kidnapped and murdered in a, in a government experiment underneath the Camp Hero Air Force Station. Mm -hmm. And so along the way, I created two versions of the film, one of which I started in 06, finished it in, in December of 2011, and I wasn't happy with it. I started all over again in 2013 and then re-interviewed just about everybody except Alfred Bielek, who passed away, mm -hmm. and uh, finished that in 2014. And that is the movie that's uh, in, in late 2014, almost 2015. I released it in 2015, and that is the movie that's out in the world right now. And it kind of you know, caught on with a lot of people around the, around the world and uh, caught the attention of a couple of networks. And I ended up making a follow-up with, uh, for History Channel called The Dark Files. Mm -hmm. That aired on History Channel in um, September of last year. And mm -hmm. since then, things have been really moving. But for me, as a, as a director and a producer, projects are, are, are available to me now. And I'm, I'm developing a, a full series for uh, another network. And working on a movie of a, a like subject matter. And uh, mm -hmm. so it really, making this independent film and spending so much time on it opened a lot of doors for me. But it was such an incredible journey. There's so much to talk about. So I'm, I'm happy to talk about anything you, you like. And if I'm, uh, mm -hmm. I'm leaving anything out, just, just check me on it and I'll, I'll tell you. Do you have any thoughts about returning to like a monster chronicle type of a show or series? Without a doubt. But it's, it's happening in these separate epic films because I think each of the subjects that originally, uh, as an anthology, I was going to tackle maybe in like a two and a half hour documentary. After making mm -hmm. a two hour documentary out of Montauk, I realized there's only so much you can fit even in a two hour movie. So mm -hmm. uh, I think each of those respectively deserve their own movie. And I'm starting with Bigfoot, which is just, it's such a saturated subject, but it was something I, I had loved as a child and continued to really research and, and, and enjoy the stories and the mystery of it. And the idea mm -hmm. of, of this kind of primal intelligent being that ducked out of society at some point, you know, was, was kind of interacting, I think, more so with people as Native American lore goes. But at, at one point decided that this wasn't the place for them, especially when, uh, you know, uh, the, the, well, I'm focusing on North America. North America is being populated and uh, we're being wiped out and there was war and revolution and all sorts of stuff happening. And I think 
if the the Sasquatch existed in its many forms, it realized it wasn't going to fit in and probably would have been wiped out along with everything else. So that's the concept that I have. And my, my movie starts with the, the creation of the earth, early origins of man, what may have inspired evolution, and what of the many missing links we do not know about. And so it's a completely different perspective on the on the Bigfoot legends, and it does cover mm -hmm. uh, some of my favorite stories, including the Fred Beck story, uh, Roger Patterson story, uh, like all of these great classic tales that I feel have have been misinterpreted or glossed over in television. Mm -hmm. There are some fantastic books written, everything from William Munns's book When Roger Met Patty to uh, Roosevelt's story that he wrote uh, in, the, in the Cowboy Land chapter of The Wilderness Hunter, his memoirs, to uh, John Green's books. You know, they're all fantastic. Jeffrey Meldrum's book. Like, they all have something to add to the, the folklore. But in movies and television, uh, it's outside of a couple of things in search of Bigfoot's reflection. It's mostly mm -hmm. trash and schlock. And I want to contribute the greatest one. And I know how to make it because I'm somebody that has been so deep in the subject matter for so long that I really, I know how this should be made for sure. So I'm, that's the first one I'm working on in regards to the, the Monster Chronicles series of, uh, of movies. Now that's fantastic. I know that um, Bigfoot was always a big one for me. It was something that my grandpa and I would talk about and, you know, he always had that, the standpoint that he never wanted one to be found. And he had his reasons, and I understand, you know, and every and there's like two totally different camps on that, and I'm not going to get into it. But no, it always fascinated me. And when you do try to find movies that, whether they're movies or documentaries, I've always found myself craving more, craving something else, and it's just, it's not out there yet. So I'm really excited to see what you bring to the table. Yeah, one, one of my, I just wanted to say, one of my very first, addictions in regard to the paranormal was in the form of a book it was originally published in the year of my birth but I, I i you know it was available to me i think by the time i was four i knew i had it in my hand and i wouldn't put it down really? and it was called the golden book of the mysterious and it had illustrations by a tolkien illustrator named alan lee oh. guys amazing and uh it was a variety of subject matter Everything from witchcraft to psychic abilities to hauntings to werewolves. Wow. Uh, but it, within there, these incredible illustrations were just so in, uh, embedded and burned into my imagination. And I sat and mm -hmm. focused on all of those images. And that was my first dance, really, with the paranormal. I got the book at a book club when I was a kid, and I just <laughs> loved it. I have it to this day. And wow. I, those illustrations. Those Alan Lee illustrations were gorgeous and mysterious and dark and, and infinite. And I think just as a kid, looking deep into those, coupled with uh, then finally getting to see, you know, uh, in search of episodes that were very mysterious and kind of blurry mm -hmm. and dark and left a lot to the imagination. That is what solidified I feel what these things should be always. It's a, it's a formula. It's a beautiful formula. It's tried and true. You shouldn't mess with it. You know, it's like DNA. You don't want to screw with it. 
So it's yes. like, I, I, I feel like, and that's what's great about your show. It's like, it, it, it's yeah. storytelling and mystery. And if we extract the mystery and the atmosphere out of these things, then it becomes like a, like a sporting event or, or, and those are great. But the thing is, they don't, these two things don't, are not the same. And mm-hmm. um, if we make it some kind of political debate or a sporting event or whatever, we're, we're extracting the mystery. That a lot was my conflict with studying the, the Montauk project because it was, mm-hmm. it had this facade, this thin mask of the paranormal. And underneath that mask was this very sinister double cross, government program, murder, rape, all of these things that don't belong in my mysteries, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was, no, a, it, it sure. was almost like I was, uh, I was seduced into it and, and, and absorbed by the abyss making Montauk Chronicles. And I really would love to get back to these things that enchanted me as a kid uh, and mm-hmm. still do now because the, the world is still full of mystery and we should love these things, not get into the sickness and this illness of uh, being obsessed with how we're, we're being cheated or being uh, controlled or, yeah, because you're just feeding those ideas. And I think allowing these mysteries and allowing ourselves to share stories, which one of the oldest form of communication is, is storytelling or almost form of oldest form of entertainment, storytelling, you know, that we should, yeah. in, we should celebrate that once again in, 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 in the best way possible. Um, so let me ask you this. A couple of years ago, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They were out in the desert and there are these big rocks and they would leave grooves in the in the earth and nobody knew how these rocks were you know traveling around and it was kind of this mysterious paranormal type of a thing they researched it and then boom mystery gone and i was you know and i was a little disappointed to be honest i think that there are things that should never be you know like what you said i don't want the mystery to go away so out of all these things with the paranormal what would be one that you really don't want to know the truth about? One that I don't want to know the truth about. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting question. Well, it would have to be something that if it remains a mystery, it, it fortifies my imagination. And I, I don't want to know. Like, um, well, this isn't really a paranormal mystery, but like there's this incredible movie maker, artist, you know, surrealist. Alejandro Jodorowsky, and he's a mystic too. And there was this movie, he was supposed to do an adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune. It didn't happen, which is kind of unfortunate, but who knows, maybe he would have failed making it. And the idea, his perspective on it now is the fact that it lives in your imagination. It's even more powerful than it actually existing. So Mm. uh, in regard to Sasquatch. I think there are so many eyewitness accounts, and it's the greatest mystery of our time, I feel, uh, mm-hmm. that if we were to find one, it would, it would, I think it would be quite tragic because there would be a lot of people that would kill it, scientists and hunters alike, prize hunters, you know, whatever, uh, mm-hmm. big game hunters. Uh, of course. And scientists would want to kill this thing and dissect it. Mm-hmm. And so the mystery certainly would be extracted from that. And then there are other mysteries that I feel like no matter how hard we try, 
we're not going to figure it out. The answers to life and death, mm -hmm. the afterlife. I think we're kind of catching on a little through quantum physics, but we're only, we're not even scratching the surface on that. So yeah. Yeah. what what would be the greatest of all mysteries and I don't want it solved? I mean, I like, <laughs> this is more of an obscure mystery, but the story of Edward Leedskalman, I think is originally, I, I found it to, it's an enigma. It, it's actually in the, a, a little further south than myself, where I, where I live right now in Florida, Coral Castle. He, this is a little old man who mysteriously just showed up uh, to that area in Florida, looking for a particular type of land, a particular type of soil. And everyone thought he was a little strange. And then he started ordering these giant slabs, these stone slabs of uh, coral and, and, and different rock. And mm -hmm. the, the eyewitnesses who delivered these, you know, two ton rocks to him said that he simply just said, please, uh, if you could stop your truck and leave it here. And there was nobody there but him and he had no apparatus that could move these enormously oh, you know, gargantuan wow. heavy slabs. But uh -huh. the truck driver said, I went around the corner, I came back, the slabs are on the ground. I don't know how oh he did gosh. it. And the entire castle itself stands today. It's now a museum, but it's, oh it's an enigma. And he has mm -hmm. all of this code. He wrote a book called A Book in Every Home. And he was, he, it was a, even Billy Idol wrote a song about it. Sweet 16 is actually about mm -hmm. Edward Leedskown. And he was saying, I was building this castle and waiting for my Sweet 16. That was all code for something. And people suspected that he was had special powers. He was an alien. He was all of these other things. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. there was some local thugs, some knuckleheads that attacked him one night, beat him half to death, oh. and then he later died. So the mystery of Edward Leedskalman remains, and Coral Castle is, is is an enigma. And so that's one of my oh. favorite ones. Uh, that In Search Up did an episode back in the 70s on that, and it's so sad, but it's such a beautiful episode. And uh, so that's that's definitely a place I'd like to further explore uh, one day. I don't know. I think some, no matter, here's the thing. I think some of our mysteries are protected. And I think the ones I love the most, I don't care. I mean, you know, look, you'll have skeptics that will say, well, this wasn't possible or this was this. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, unfortunately, skeptics come on very strong. So a lot of people will tend to back down from these people and, and immediately agree with them because they're coming on very strong. It doesn't mean they're intelligent, but they're just coming on very forceful and strong. There are plenty of those guys out there. You know, like I like the amazing Randy. He's always trying to debunk stuff. And a lot of times he's right because I don't like hucksters either. I don't like people that are making things up to take advantage of people. I've encountered quite a few of those even in the Montauk Project world. Mm -hmm. But I think... As an individual, you should love what you love and celebrate what you like. And if someone is attempting to steer that in a different direction for you, I would say just simply avoid them. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter what they say. If you have a strong feeling about something, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anyone says, because at the end of the day, it really is all about your own energy and your perspective and if, if this mystery is feeding your positive energy this is what you deserve and uh, mm. whoever's trying to disrupt that is your enemy is your spiritual enemy so that's the way right. i see things and i i there's so many of them you know uh, there are ghost stories and uh, 
I, I think, okay, to answer your question, the best, that if someone were to, <laughs> and this is, is once again, our, this mystery is so protected mm-hmm. by the enigma of existence. But if, if someone mm-hmm. were to say, well, I've discovered we're, there is nothing after this oh. physical life. We just right. know it. We've proven it. There's nothing. Well, mm-hmm. I know that's not true. Uh, and I don't even think this physical life exists in the way we've thought we think it does. You know, I think we're multidimensional. Right. I think there, there, there and, and again, quantum physics science is, is beginning to uh, peek into this. I think science mm-hmm. and mystery are, are, are hand in hand. I, I, I love Carl Sagan and a lot of things he was writing before he died. His last book, uh, uh, Demon Haunted World, A Candle in the Dark. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that I'm just kind of paraphrasing the title. It was a long title, but... Uh, great book and i think what he was encouraging was so many incredible specimens that we have and there's so many solid examples of of this great mysterious world that like why are we diving into pseudosciences before we even absorb what's there which is just so amazing and that gets me thinking about cryptozoology so let's say we never had a specimen of let's an octopus right or mm-hmm. some kind of luminescent ocean creature or a mm-hmm. glowworm in one of these caves in South America that are all bizarre yes. in nature, but no one's ever seen mm-hmm. one before. And I described it to you. You would think I was nuts. They're like, no, that doesn't <laughs> this second Yeah. But we, ha- but we just, we're kind of like, see, we're, we're, we're not enchanted by these things because they exist. We know they exist. And we're so silly because we don't believe it exists until we have a specimen. I mean, Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I don't think it's so far-fetched to believe in the North American Sasquatch. Uh, there are things mm-hmm. to explore that are much more mysterious than that. Uh, everything from like black magic and to mm-hmm. um, astral projection to different types of poltergeists and demonic hauntings, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- these, these things are all exciting to me. Some of them are a little dangerous spiritually and energetic. You have to be careful. Uh, right. But some of them are exhilarating. And, and, and so these are the things I'd love to explore. And then there's just like other things that are, that are great mysteries uh, along the way, even modern mysteries, I think, like everything from Edward Leedskallen to uh, you know, the story of uh, James Dean's car, Little Bastard. There's some great stories behind that, that, that fateful vehicle that he died in. So I'm right. always looking at these things. With that being said, do you have any personal experiences paranormal wise encounters that you'd be willing to share sure uh and i'll just be honest about them like i'm not uh mm-hmm. you know sitting here claiming that i'm a mystic or um uh, i can predict earthquakes or uh, i know when the end <laughs> of the world is coming and all this garbage of course uh, that, that these hucksters and these these fake gurus try to promote to everyone and and, mm-hmm. and make money so you're not a hucker. <laughs> no but I can tell you as a man, uh, just a regular guy, what I've experienced. There are a couple of things that happened. Once when I was 14, I, uh, I feel like I experienced an audible haunting for two nights. And I woke up in the middle of the night. I was staying at a friend's house. You know, I, I fell asleep that night on my, my buddy's floor. There were three of us in the room. I had a sleeping bag. And uh, he had these glow-in-the-dark stars attached to his ceiling and I remember just kind of laying on the floor in the dark 
looking at the stars, imagining a bunch of different things. I was so immersed in, you know, comic books, horror films, science fiction, fantasy as a kid, like I am now, hasn't changed. Uh, <laughs> of course. And, and so, yeah, so I'm, I'm just dreaming on until I fall asleep. And then I wake up. It's to this loud whispering, you know, this, this, it was being articulated for sure. And it was striking and mm. it sounded like it was being articulated from a female voice, but the language is something I didn't recognize. It was gibberish or it was a, mm. it was a language I was yet to be familiar that with occurred. at that time. I didn't, I didn't know. It could have been something that I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with. So mm. it was whispering this gibberish. At first I thought it could be one of my friends in the room. And so I said, hey, guys, you know, who's doing that? And uh, it took me a few times. And then my buddy who uh, lived in the house with his sister and his mother woke mm -hmm. up and said, you know, shut up, go back to sleep. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't hear anything. So he was <laughs> sleeping. He went right back to sleep. This right. really was starting to scare me. And I wanted to go and explore, mm -hmm. and find out where this was coming from. So I got mm -hmm. up. I slowly walked out of the room and I was just, I was so scared that it, it forced me to get up and go, go seek it out. I wasn't just going to hide in my, my sleeping bag. I wanted to find out what this was. Wow. So I got up, walked out of the room and I figured maybe his sister was on the phone and this is just how the walls were obscuring the sound and this is, it was muffling mm -hmm. it. So I walked out into the hallway. It was dark. And I, I peeked into his sister's room and, and she was fast asleep. So I was getting scared because it, it didn't feel like it was coming from anywhere. It was just there and it felt right. very strange. I'm sure anyone that experiences the paranormal uh, will tell you that I just knew it wasn't, it wasn't right. It wasn't normal. It was completely abnormal. Right. Of and course. that's how I felt. So I walked downstairs mm -hmm. to his kitchen. I looked around, I looked around the kitchen to see if anything was making this noise. Maybe a coffee maker came on, whatever, you know, like I just didn't know. I walked over to his mother's bedroom and peeked in. I was creeping <laughs> around the house. Yeah. You're right. She was, she was sleeping and I was mm. so scared at that point. I was like, yeah. what is this? And I went back, went back in my, finally got back in my, my sleeping bag and I was, uh, terrified and I just kind of laid there with my eyes shut and listening to this and just hoping it went away and eventually I did pass out as the sun was coming up and I felt a little more secure and I, I fell asleep mm -hmm. so I didn't hear it during the day was there tried to talk about it with my friends and they said I don't know I didn't hear anything and I just kept quiet about it for most of the day mm -hmm. and that night at a different location the next night, I heard it again, and I was like, what is this? And that was even more terrifying because during the day, I considered the fact that maybe it was a radio, maybe it was something in the house. Now I'm mm -hmm. hearing it again in my parents' house, oh, in geez. my bedroom, at home. And I just sat mm -hmm. and like prayed that this would stop. And mm -hmm. I never heard it again after that. Did it sound like it was young or old? I mean, could you tell? It would, if you were whispering gibberish, it would sound like you. That's the best mm. way I can describe it. Right. So you wow. know, it wasn't raspy. It was perhaps pleasant, but it was strange because it was, it was gibberish. You know, it wasn't 
it wasn't any particular word that I could uh -huh. recognize. So it was scaring me because I don't know I, what was this. Wow. Um, yeah, I've had a few other <laughs> experiences. <laughs> Did you have a second story that you were going to share or? I, I had another experience much later in life. I was living in Michigan. I had an apartment. I lived in an apartment building in Michigan with my girlfriend at the time. And um, I had a, a, a bedroom. There was a hallway. I had my office and living room kitchen. And so I'm mm -hmm. standing in the living room and I was on a phone call. And uh, my girlfriend at the time was sleeping in my bedroom and the door was closed. And so mm -hmm. I'm on the phone with my dad uh, talking to him. He was in Florida. I'm, I'm in Michigan. I'm talking to him on the phone and I'm standing in the pacing, you know, as I do when I'm on the phone uh, in the living room. And the, the house was kind of dim. Not all the lights were on. And uh, the light in my office was on. The hallway light was off mm -hmm. and the bedroom door was dark, uh, but it was closed. And a little further down the hallway was the bathroom. And um, so I was talking to my dad and through my peripheral, I saw what I thought was my, my ex walking from the bedroom into my office. She was wearing a white nightgown that I didn't really recognize, but I could see her black hair. And I saw her walk down the hallway out of the darkness mm -hmm. and into my office. And at that mm -hmm. point, it I am, and again, this was all in one uh, view. I did not turn mm -hmm. my head again. My eyes didn't leave the threshold and the doorway of my office door. So whoever walked in there couldn't walk out without me seeing them. There was no other way out. We were up on of the fourth floor and she would have had to have jumped out the window. So wow. uh, I finished the conversation with my dad. And then I started to walk to my office because I thought it was just kind of weird, like, you know, and then I, I said, hey, what's going on? And I walked into my office and nobody was there. Oh, Windows oh man. Closed, shades were closed. The uh, mm -hmm. office was empty. And I said, OK, what the hell? What, what did you here? feel right there? I, I, once again, I had had this experience years earlier uh, with the whispering. So I was like, okay, this is strange. And mm -hmm. I walked over to the bedroom door, which was closed, opened it, mm -hmm. and went into the bedroom to talk to her. And mm -hmm. she, when she slept, she usually would like wrap herself up like a burrito. So she was all wrapped up <laughs> in blankets. And uh -huh. I woke her up and I said, hey, uh, were you just in my office? which wasn't even a logical question because I did not take my <laughs> eyes off of the office after she walked in. And she right. said, no, I've been sleeping. And I believe her. she was fast asleep and all wrapped up in her blanket. So, wow. yeah. And that wasn't the only time she had an experience in the apartment. Uh, oh. She thought it was me touching. She fell asleep in the, in the living room and she oh. thought it was me touching her on the shoulder to tell her to come to bed. And oh my she gosh. came into the bedroom and said, were you just in the living room telling me to come to bed? I said, no. Oh my and gosh. Um, 
Yeah, I have, it was a, a lot of strange energy in that apartment. I always, it, it got so heavy one night that I got up out of my sleep and I said, all right, that's enough. That's enough. I felt like things were jumping on me, you know, like wow. I kept waking up and I felt this heavy, heavy energy mm. in that, in that place. And, uh, you know, I, I really just tried to meditate on whatever was there mm -hmm. to please leave. You know, it's time to go. Uh, of course. And so, it, you know, you consider you walk into a, a place and you're feeling fine on your way over there. And the minute you walk in, you mm. can feel sad or you'll feel angry. Well, what mm -hmm. is that? Could it be the chemical imbalance of your you know, physiology? Could mm. it be you ate something bad that morning? Maybe. <laughs> could it be that there is something more than us? Right. Uh, and I and again, science is beginning to prove that there is something more than us, that there are alternate realities, parallel realities, cosmic energies, OK, that mm -hmm. may thrive mm -hmm. off of certain things like anger and hate and, and they grow and thrive. And so that these things exist. And, and so it, the paranormal gives us a window into that. Mm -hmm. and allows us to celebrate the mysterious and also learn about these things. I think in the past, you know, centuries ago, before the Industrial Revolution, well before that, people were more in touch with the mystical mm -hmm. uh, before even, and then even further before, um, you know, certain religions kind of took over and became very dogmatic on how people should think and feel. I think mm -hmm. people were very open to the mystic more so but it looks like to me people are getting in touch with that again and that's a glorious thing there's nothing bad about it uh as long as you're not using it for nefarious purposes or your study isn't meant to hurt anybody i, I mm -hmm. think to be open to this is a great celebration of the mystery of life and existence and i think that's what's so great about the paranormal i'm not um i'm afraid of certain things like uh, there is a story of a haunting in Crosby, Texas that I've been interested in for a while. And it's about desecrated graves and mm -hmm. that there was construction over these graves. And mm -hmm. I believe bad mojo exists, especially when you're disrespecting the dead. This goes way back to mythology or Native American legends or you know, if you mess with a burial ground, uh, it mm -hmm. could bring some bad energy your way. And if you're, you're nefarious about you know, messing with that burial ground or you don't care about it, you don't respect it. Mm -hmm. And so we have recorded accounts of people who offend these things and then bad things happen to them. Could it right. be a self-fulfilling prophecy, the power of suggestion? Could be. I'm, I'm still open to that. But mm -hmm. once again, I, I, my I'm leaning towards that there is more to this world than the artifice or just us or just mm -hmm. this particular existence that we recognize every day. For the most part, our existence is artifice. You know, everything around you from your walls to your house, to the bookshelves, to your car, to your TV, to your computer, it's all a replication of an idea that someone mm -hmm. had it's not really real you know it's physically real but it's it's it's, right. an, it's an imagined world an imagined construct but the paranormal and the mystic mm -hmm. just like nature just like 
the stars and the sky and just like our galaxy, it's all real. You mm-hmm. know, hopefully I'm not getting too metaphysical right now. For a long time, I was really interested in metaphysics. And I, I mean, I love it. I do. And I, I agree with everything that you're saying. Um, it would, you know, gosh, if, if our eyes could open just for even a couple seconds and really see what's really actually around us. Sure. You know, we, we, we recognize what's in front of us as real, but we, mm-hmm. we fail to uh, remember that we are just creating things around us that are, that's comfortable and that, that would make some sense out of this life. But I think if mm-hmm. you stripped, what I'm getting at is if you strip the artifice down, let's say you existed solely back in the forest again, or in the jungle or in the desert yes. or wherever, you might get back in touch with these energies again. So mm. we get a thrill out of the paranormal because it brings us back to that archaic and primal uh, connection mm-hmm. that we have with these energies that do exist. We're not alone. Okay. We're not, there's something yeah, else no. going on. There's something no, else exactly. happening. And most of us just know this inherently, you know, that we know it. See, and that was always another, um, like when I envisioned the whole ghost thing or spirits or whatever, as a kid, it was always like there was this veil that when you're in a room, you're never alone. That there's always, I mean, there's as many spirits and stuff around as there are humans. You just can't see them. So, well, you know, as I, well, we, we, we continue to evolve. And as time goes on, I believe that uh, there'll be a new um, age of enlightenment in regard mm. to getting in touch with these energies again in, w- in one mm-hmm. form or another, if we don't become androids first. You know, an author like, or a brilliant mind like Ray Kurzweil believes that, you know, the singularity is that we're going to just become these these kind of uh, cybernetic creatures because we're going to get rid of the flesh and we're going to inherit a great knowledge and a release of emotion and all that stuff. And, but the thing is we are no longer human at that point. And I don't believe that's going to happen. I think some people might accept that, but I think there would, that would be a great division and the, and the, mm-hmm. the, the human species would continue and that these other things would evolve and become uh, will come into existence you should read the singularity is near by ray kurzweil an example of the mystery being taken from us and we're becoming like insects in a way you know and i don't want to i don't want that i don't want to live in a world without mystery i don't want to live in a world where all of these beautiful animals are extinct and and, exactly. and the dark and the forests are completely ripped down because there's no, there's nothing left but cities and suburbia and um, you know like you were saying you know there's a lot of of reemerging of stuff and awakenings going on now and there has been for a little while the world is like a spider web anything that you do in your lifetime anything that I do within my lifetime it's we hit that spider web and it vibrates. And it affects the whole. I think that there's enough of us that are like-minded like this and, and, and with our awakenings and our vibrations and all this stuff that that whole Android thing, it's not going to happen. I, don't know I agree. I think a lot of people will <laughs> resist. 
-hmm. I think the right people will, mm -hmm. but I do believe that some people, because Kurzweil's thing is that he can't wait for it. He wants right. to, he feels like that was, that is his gateway to immortality. So this is why mm -hmm. he's writing about these things and he's trying to survive. Uh, mm -hmm. So medical technology and, and technology in general exponentially gets to where he suggests it's going to be. So he can become one of these these android people, these cyborgs. Well, I mean, even if even if it did happen to where there are some, it wouldn't be all. I think that no, maybe I don't. Not. It's um for the longest time, and I still have this belief that before we come here, we kind of sign a contract about what we're going to do, why we're coming here. You know, the people that become that that's that's what they did, and they chose to do it so that. You know, because there's lessons and everything. And I think that the people that are more higher vibrational, it's it's all lessons to, to continue Agreed. to raise the vibration. Oh, I think you're kind of selling your soul if you you just decide that you want to be this uh, superior mm -hmm. uh, cyborg creature thing. You're done. <laughs> yeah. You're no longer, you know, you, you know, your soul is gone. You don't need it anymore because you'll be this immortal hive-like That's interesting because, okay, so do you think then, okay, so if you become the cyborg thing and you're still living and breathing, then what do you think happens to your soul? Does it leave? I think, I think it's gone, yeah. I think you've given up on a soul. Uh, maybe you never really had one to begin with. I don't know. Because the soul is something that keeps you in this state of enchantment. Like, okay, if you, you run into a person, and again, no offense to people like this, but I think they're missing mm -hmm. something. If someone comes up to you and says, well, I'm an atheist. There is no God. There is nothing after this <laughs> physical life. I'm sorry, but uh -huh. I feel like I'm dealing with a child because I just <gasps> know instinctively mm -hmm. from my own experience that there is some kind of other thing beyond this veil in front of us. I've of experienced course. it myself. There are great minds and incredible eyewitnesses, incredible witnesses that have experienced things over many centuries of recorded history and, and trusting right. in other very credible people. These aren't all hallucinations. These aren't wishful thinking that there's an afterlife. I think mm -hmm. astrophysicist uh, Adam Frank said, in one of his books, that it would require you to be the greatest pessimist who's ever existed to believe that there is no other intelligent life or other life mm -hmm. forms outside of this planet. You, you, in other words, right. you really have to be an idiot to believe that. Right. Uh, just, just a stubborn, pessimistic idiot. <laughs> and there's just right. too much evidence to support the fact that there are other probably billions of planets like Earth with intelligent life on it, technologically mm -hmm. advanced societies uh, on many, many other planets, many other galaxies, infinite galaxies, okay, infinite solar mm -hmm. systems. So it just consistently proves people wrong who can't believe or can't open their minds to the what we call the mystical well we call it the mystical right now but maybe in 2000 years we'll call it something else because through science 
will I begin mm -hmm. to identify maybe what some of this stuff is. It doesn't mean we're going to lose our mystery. I think the mystery is infinite. Because no matter what, yeah. space is infinite. And the possibilities uh -huh. of our existence are infinite. And the many stages of existence, you know, we say, okay, we, we're born, we live, we die. Some of us consider mm -hmm. the fact that we may have lived before. We lived many, many lives. But where do we go after? What is that? Is that mm -hmm. another dimension, another planet, another galaxy? I think space mm -hmm. and, 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 and the afterlife and all of that stuff is connected somehow, of course. And again, it feeds these, as us, you know, human beings, we, we create these beautiful stories and we, we get glimpses of this, this future of this world and we write about it and we love to, to, to mm. uh, feed our imaginations. We don't even know what our imaginations are. They're, they're, we might be channeling things from other worlds, you know, right. we just don't know yet. Mm. It's still very early in the game. And, um, That's true. And so, but that's 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 the glory. One of the glorious things about being alive is that this this beautiful mystery. If I couldn't, honestly, I, I couldn't imagine it's all artifice. This is why I'm. It's coming back full circle, and this is what what our storytelling and the, and the subject matter that we're talking about tonight is so important because mm -hmm. it, it it opens our energy, it feeds the mind, it expands the imagination, and really these things without them. I think life, in a way, would be meaningless. What's the point? Might as well become one of those Ray Kurzweil type uh, <laughs> orc creatures, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I agree. But, I um, gosh, my my world, my personal world. There's so much magic and mystery. I can't. I just. I wouldn't be able to imagine it without it. Before I forget, one of the other things that I was just going to bring up, just. I, because I don't know, I haven't talked about it with anybody, but I learned about it. And since we were talking about souls and stuff, I heard somebody say that no matter what size you are, you could be a short Asian woman and be 97 pounds. You could be a really tall, gigantor man weighing 500, that when you die, that you lose exactly 21 grams i believe and so there's this theory that is that how much the soul weighs that when I've it leaves your body that. yes you did yeah yeah of course well there was a movie called 21 grams so that kind of idea was in the very beginning of that film no i yeah. just literally just heard about it not too long ago so i'm like i'm fascinated to learn more yeah i'm curious if, if it's if, if there was a, a serious study but I, once again, you know, there's this misconception that, uh, you know, there are two camps of belief. There's like the mystical and the scientific. Well, I think mm -hmm. they go hand in hand. You know, I mean, there's so many things that have been studied and discovered that at one time were very mystical and then that we were able to define it scientifically. But it's just a science is a way of defining something, a way of analyzing something. Mm -hmm. But all of these ideas and all everything in the mystical is something, you know, we mm -hmm. just, I, for some reason, we haven't as a society, which is here's a, here's a strange thing. Mm -hmm. So as a society, we haven't had any major scientific studies of psychic abilities and psychic phenomena. However, the government and the CIA has, and they've mm -hmm. kept it all for themselves. And we have evidence of this. So mm -hmm. that's something to question for sure, because why 
is it okay for us as entertainment purposes only, right? As they like mm-hmm. to put disclaimers on everything we purchase, everything from tarot cards to, to books, you know, for entertainment purposes only. Right. But it's okay for the CIA to develop remote viewing programs a la Project Stargate and uh, for po- detectives to work with psychics to look for murder victims. Right. And, so it's taken right. seriously by our, our government, you know, it really is. Mm-hmm. No, there's a website for remote viewing. And I had done a video um, for it and I had posted something in the caravan because you chose which, it was the Zenner cards, you know, which one was it. Then the other test was remote viewing and it was remote viewing in your third eye and all this stuff. It's as natural to us as... You know, it's like, it's like, um, it's an instinct, no different than a baby tiger that just knows, you know, develops knowing how to hunt. Of course. And we've, we've all experienced it and some are in denial of it and they have this propensity to want to just say it was something else or a coincidence mm-hmm. or whatever, but we, we all, we know that there's something more to it. Uh, even mm-hmm. dreams, we don't even know what really what they are. So, uh, right. you know, I tend to keep an open mind about things. And then I also am not a, a believer in everything that everybody says either. I'm very cautious because large variety of subject matter tends to attract a lot of people who uh, are ready to take advantage. Mm-hmm. Of people who need to believe exactly. because they're, they've experienced trauma or they need something, you know, they need guidance or they need to believe in something. And so mm-hmm. this attracts some really bad people. And these bad people love to take advantage of true believers. And so mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I'm very cautious of those people. So, but I, because they really, they're, they're, they're against everything that we really are, you and I, and, and people like us are truly celebrating. They're against mm-hmm. that. They hurt that. They threaten that. And um, so you have to right. be very cautious. Yeah. You have to be careful, especially if you're sensitive and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it could weigh heavy on you. You know, I, I, again, I'm, uh, I, I've noticed and and it's made my life easier to understand that I'm definitely sensitive to energies. And, and so now I understand why I feel a certain way when I go somewhere or it's just so quick and abrupt. And now since then, I've been able to balance myself much easier and better because I understand why I feel the way mm-hmm. I do sometimes. And, uh, right. you know, I don't need, I don't need drugs to fix me. I don't I don't have an addiction mm-hmm. to any recreational drugs to kill the pain. You know, I, I really understand now what this is, and it's made life so much better. And I, I'm not calling myself a psychic or anything. I, I, I think I just mm-hmm. have a, a, a really strong intuition, and uh, I'm sensitive to certainly sensitive to energies that do exist. They just exist. Right. So, so this is just kind of a off-topic, fun one, but I wanted to ask. If you were given the opportunity where there was no budget, okay, no budget, it doesn't matter, like, it's at your fingertips, anything that you can dream of to make this movie, 
And any actor or actress, all of them, you know, whoever you choose, they're going to say yes. What movie, what kind of a movie would you make and who would you have in it? I would make something uh, as magnificent as Fritz Lang's Metropolis or The Wizard of Oz or uh, Disney Fantasia. And in regard to Metropolis, it was a film made in the silent era, one of the greatest Mm -hmm. science fiction films ever made. And I would construct enormous, elaborate, functioning uh, set pieces like they had in that movie, but even more so, you know, with the money. Mm -hmm. And in regard to actors, who would I work with? I am would discover the greatest actors of a variety of age that have not had their shot. And I would, the, the, the most talented and hungriest actors oh. that are out there. And I would work with them. You've that never heard of them. Oh, I love that so much. And, and guess what? By the way, huh. this is what yes. I'm going to do. <laughs> I mean, I'm really going to do this. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So remember that I That's... said this because I'm really going to do it. <laughs> well, I believe you. You've, uh, you've really, you're, yeah. If you could make any book into a film, which one would it be? Huh. If I can make any book into a film, well, mm-hmm. I would, I, I, and this might sound cliche, but I always wanted to make my own version of Bram Stoker's Dracula, even though I love Francis Coppola's version. Another Mm -hmm. would certainly be several of H.P. Lovecraft's stories. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Guillermo del Toro wanted to make uh, At the Mountains of Madness. I like that one a lot. There are others that I like. Uh, Probably Mm -hmm. Shadow Over Innismith. That's one I would love to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there are others. Stephen King's It, even though it's been now adapted twice no one's done it right i would love to do it outside of that washington irving <laughs> legend of sleepy hollow of course now would so, that be animated or would it be no i would it would be live action and, it, and I, I like a lot of things that tim burton did and of course i'm obsessed with the disney version of it however <laughs> short it is and how much fun it is but i have to certainly uh-huh. have my own take on that on that story and i love that story uh mm-hmm. oh and another one would be charles dickens uh, uh christmas carol oh i think that's one of the best that. ghost stories ever it is and <laughs> and and i would love to do my own version of it because it's, it's a great story you know it's just mm-hmm. yeah no no i loved it when i was a kid growing up i um i think the first one that i saw was the disney one and then, um, gosh, I'm not sure how many different versions of that there are, but I know that there are several. Do you mean A Christmas Carol or Sleepy Hollow? A uh, Christmas Carol. Yeah, it was it was one of those that really scared me when I was a kid because it's like, wow, that's, you know, that last ghost. Yeah, I, I there, there are other stories. Okay, so here's a great fable, modern day fable that was written that I Again, like sometimes I, I forget the things I'd really love to do. 
Clive Barker wrote a book called The Thief of Always. I would love to make that into a movie. Did you ever uh, hear about? Okay, so it opens up with a boy in the month of February who is so bored of his life and is looking out his window and wishing he had, he was enchanted. So this little demon guy, uh, but friendly, floats from the air and tells him that there's a place called the Holiday House, where every day you're going to experience Halloween, Christmas, every holiday you could think of, and there's nothing but kids there. So come, let me take you to the Holiday House. Uh oh. And I'm not going to tell you what happens, but this is quite a story. <laughs> wow. The two Clive Barker books, that's one of them. The other one is Mr. Be Gone. I would love to make that into a movie. Uh, so, yeah, this is just a few books that I would love to, to adapt one day if I ever had the chance. Now, are there any books that you feel should never be attempted to make into a movie because the theater of the mind? is so strong and powerful with it that a movie wouldn't do it justice. Well, there are, there are books that people say are impossible and could never be, well, there, it was turned into a movie by David Cronenberg, but he knew or felt that he couldn't adapt the book as it was, Naked Lunch. Now, if you anyone that read that book knows mm-hmm. that Cronenberg's film is great and all, but it is not the book. Uh, it's a companion to mm-hmm. the book. Uh, mm-hmm. I could see that being a movie. It would just take a very uh, creative and radical mind to make it into a motion picture. I believe there are certain motion pictures that should never be remade, like The Wizard of Oz and stuff like that. They could be further chapters or whatever, but why ever? Mm -hmm. If you're going to remake something, I feel like it should be done different. Not, uh, it should not be a direct remake like, Gus Van Zandt's Psycho, you know, he remade Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which it was, it was kind of pointless. It was very pointless, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there some books that should never be made into a movie? Well, there are a lot of books that should have, a lot of Stephen King's books should have never been made into those particular movies <laughs> because they right. weren't done right. And, and there, there's some, oh, there's some wonderful books that are turned into really garbage movies. Uh, mm-hmm. And then in some cases, like in the case of Gone Girl, I feel like the movie's much better than the book. Uh, mm-hmm. Or Jaws, you know, the movie is mu- right. much better than Peter Benchley's book. No offense, but it's, it's it, it, Jaws is, is so much better than the, than the book. So mm. uh, in some cases, I, it's just all about the person who's, who's uh, in charge of the adaptation. Sometimes mm-hmm. I don't think they read the book. Right. They'll read the screenplay, but they won't read the book. Is there a movie that you that really gets you that you get scared or that? I was always okay. This is actually based on a true haunting or whatever you want to call it, demonic uh, encounter. The movie, the entity with Barbara Hershey, that is Mm. based off of the true investigation. Well, the true account that was experienced by Dr. Barry Taft, parapsychologist, and mm. um, was written as a novel based on these true accounts of a woman named Doris Byther, who's actually Carla Moran in the movie, played by Barbara Hershey. And the, mm-hmm. the movie is terrifying. Even Martin Scorsese calls it probably the most terrifying horror film he had ever seen. That 
Robert Wise made a movie called The Haunting, which was an adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. And mm-hmm. that is a, a very spooky movie. And, uh, well, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which I feel is a brilliant adaptation. Some of the people who yes. also read the novel don't feel that way, but I, I feel like it was a brilliant adaptation of the book. I love the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, movies that terrify me, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think is a, mm-hmm. incredibly uh, surreal at times, very visceral, but not gory. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, entrance into the abyss. And it's a, an incredible piece of American folk art uh, recognized by the Museum of Modern Art. The name throws everybody off because they see it as a you know, piece of grindhouse schlock, but it's not. It's really just an incredible movie if you're willing to take the ride. That is a terrifying motion picture, truly. Oh, and John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. Did you ever see that movie with Kurt Russell? I think so. That was something else. Wow, <laughs> what a movie. And, yeah. you know... It, I mean, we have uh, diseases and amoebas that invade the body and corrupt cells. So imagine, if you will, an alien Mm. amoeba corrupting the body and replicating cells like it does in the thing. That's some scary stuff. Yeah, no, that is definitely one. Um, There was a movie, Contagion. I never watched it because to me, it's it's so realistic that, you know, that there's so many experiments that, that go, I mean, here, okay, we have a primate lab and <laughs> some of the primates had gotten out and I think one was never found. And it's just like, and these, these monkeys, you know, they're injected with these different diseases and stuff. And they ended up developing a whole like little, what are they? They're like, um, townhomes or something right next door to it and i'm just like i would never (laughs) i would never live there and you know because you never know i mean gosh what was that is planet of the apes where they were infecting the monkey but then the person doing it got infected with the disease and then he you know the scientist and then he goes out and coughs on somebody and there it starts i mean it's just oh that so... was uh, 28 days later i think right oh no that wasn't planted the new planet of the apes right yeah i mean that's really realistic and that to me is like sure. oh give me monsters man <laughs> seriously over that any day oh my gosh well i mean you know, there are several uh, anthropologists that believe that apes right now are going through an evolution. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, chimps and, and, and stuff like that, they're going through a particular evolution. So one day we might have the planet of the apes. You know? Right. You never know. <laughs> might be accelerated. <laughs> Again, so many science fiction writers are prophets. Pierre mm-hmm. Bull wrote Planet of the Apes. But Rod Serling, who was one of my heroes, uh, wrote the screenplay for the movie Planet of the Apes, the original. Rod Serling of the Twilight Zone and Night Gallery. Mm. A brilliant, brilliant man. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of my favorite, probably the greatest television show ever made, The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, 
I I caught some of it, but I was I was definitely a unsolved mysteries kid. <laughs> so was I, and they were so scary. Oh uh, yes. At that time, you know, sometimes they would be reran late at night, and when they came uh, on, and when one of the oh that sound that on, initial sure. yeah. See, for me, it was more of the the real people issues, uh, kidnapping, murder, never being found. That scared me. But I think the thing, the number one episode, the story that got me the most, like, was the spontaneous human combustion. Oh, That's wow. insane. Yeah, no. <laughs> that is insane. And, then, and once again, think about that. Wow. Imagine just sitting somewhere and catching fire and burning to death from entering. Exactly. Yeah, and then yeah, that one uh, old black and white photo of the 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 woman sitting in the chair, and you just see like a leg, and the uh, the rest Mm. of her body is just incinerated. Um, I I don't know if that's that's some weird stuff. Yes. No, I agree. And thank you very much for being on with me. It means a lot. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you for having me. Watch your step, lest you move on death. It lay there quarantined underneath your last breath. Hold your tongue. Still I've gone The beast that follows is close But we'll move on Snake eyes Always on my tail Snake eyes Always up ahead Oh, snake eyes Hidden in the dark Snake eyes 
dark Snake eyes Better catch a spark